Good morning, church family. Uh, we have uh, something awesome going on. We got a baptism going on this morning uh, where I get to the honor and the privilege to baptize one of our youth. Um, so, Courtney Cox, if you'll come on down. So, this is Courtney Cox. She's one of our youth. Um, she came. Uh, are you crying already? No. Don't do that yet. Um, <laughs> so she really started coming uh, at VBS this past year, serving, uh, helping with the rec time. Um, and since then, she has been every Wednesday, every Sunday, uh, just loving being here. Um, and she came uh, last Sunday and talked to uh, Brother Josh and told him that even though she's accepted Christ, she hasn't been baptized just yet. Um, so she accepted Christ at about seven or eight years old. Um, and just, she said just now she's really getting that urge, that drive, uh, to pursue God and know God more. Um, and she wants to show that to you as a church family through baptism. So Courtney, you ready? (laughs) So Courtney, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in death, raised to walk newness of life. Church family, let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you, God. We thank you so much for lives being changed. God, we praise you for that. We know the, the amazing work that you do for us. And um, God, I just thank you so much for, for dying on the cross for our sins, giving us the opportunity to baptize uh, teenagers, uh, little kids, all the way through life, God. Um, We thank you for what baptism means. We thank you for the ability, the opportunity to come and worship you this morning. In your heavenly name, amen. What an amazing way to start a service, right? It's it's probably my favorite way. If y'all would stand up and let's worship together. There is a fountain filled with light drawn from Emmanuel's Thank you. 
Aren't you grateful and glad that he lives this morning? 
Amen. Yes, we are. And we come to, to worship him today. And it's just a, a scripture I was thinking of while we were standing there and singing. And First Peter is one of my, my most favorite books. But uh, in First Peter in chapter 2, he tells us, he says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we who were not a people but are now the people of God, and we had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. We're, we're grateful for that word this morning and grateful for what it means to us. Again, we're so glad that you decided to join us this morning. If we have guests this morning, again, we're especially glad that you're here with us to worship. Uh, again, just hope you feel the presence of the Spirit. You find friendly folks to, to meet you and greet you and, and make you feel welcome today as well. The, there's a tab in our bulletin. If you have any information that you'd like to share with us today or a prayer request that you'd like to share with us, again, you uh, can just uh, tear that, uh, fill that in and tear it off and put it in the offering plate later on in the service when it comes by. Just a couple of reminders this morning before we uh, before we continue to sing. Again, you see the, uh, the orangish uh, insert in your bulletin today. And two weeks from today, we have our picnic and baptism at the bay uh, uh, that we haven't done for quite a while because of COVID and different things that we and because of weather I think also we did we had to postpone one but again if you could help us out and just uh, make an advanced reservation for that and turn that in that'll help us in planning and buying groceries and not to buy too much or too little but we just have a good idea of who's going to be there with us in two weeks and just appreciate it if you would help us out with that. Also, this afternoon, 3 o'clock, we're going to meet over at the Family Life Center. We've been talking about that for a little while now, and we had some training and some orientation last week. But even if you weren't there last week and you want to come join us today, uh, like I said, we're just going to go out and, and meet and greet some of our neighbors and, and, and knock on their doors and just hopefully tell them about Jesus today. So that's uh, meet us up here a little bit before 3 o'clock at the Family Life Center. And uh, I think you'll be glad that you do. So also this morning, I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm aware of an anniversary this morning that uh, I need not neglect. John and Jane Benelli, I'm, with the lights in my face, I can't tell. But anyway, um, they were uh, celebrating their 54th wedding anniversary this week. So we want to celebrate that today and uh, with those guys. Again, this, uh, so let's uh, continue this worship now.
church. Good morning, church. One of my favorite songs. I got goosebumps with that one. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, would you join me in prayer, please? My name is Randy Petskov, by the way. I have to identify myself, serving uh, as a deacon for you this term. Father God, Lord Jesus, can't thank you enough for the blood you shed for us, for the forgiveness of sins, not only for those, Father, here, but around the world and for all time. We thank you for that, Heavenly Father. And as we're about to partake what you've given to us and give back a portion of that, we also want to remember our nation, emergency service teams, men and women in law enforcement, health care workers, and, Father, most important, our men and women in uniform here in the U.S. and around the world standing in the gap to prevent hostile enemies to take away our freedom. These gifts and offerings, we ask that you would bless them, bless the giver, and to further your kingdom, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
team for leading us this morning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to pull it out, open it up, turn on your tablet or your smartphone to your Bible app to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, John chapter 4. And as I think about the passage, we're going to jump right into our biblical truth this morning. And our biblical truth this morning is our hearts can never be satisfied until we are satisfied with Jesus. There's a lot of people around the world that are just looking and hoping for the next break, the next gig, the next thing that's going to come into their life. Maybe it's an upgrade, or maybe it's a, a, a new thing, new phase, new fad, something that's going to come into their life to excite them and reignite them, give them passion for living, give them hope, and all of those things. And the problem with all of that is that there's a, there's a God-shaped hole in every one of us that can only be filled with a relationship with God 
our Father through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And here's the thing. Our hearts will never be satisfied. I mean, we can have temporary fulfillment in things. And, but pretty soon the newness wears off. You know that? You know that to be true? Uh, after I moved into my new house that I have here, I built a gate um, so I could get my truck in and out so of the backyard. And I, was, I had the truck parked halfway through the gate, and a gust of wind uh, blew the gate, and the gate slammed into the rear quarter panel of my truck and put a big old dent in it. But it wasn't a big deal. You know why? Because I have an old truck. <laughs> and it had plenty of dents in it. And I was like, oh, man. And then I went on about my day. You know, but if you got a new one, guess what? Every little dent and ding that hits that thing, you're just, oh. And you realize the newness wears off very quickly, doesn't it? Of all kinds of things that we tend to think you're going to make us happy and fulfill our hearts, but they're not going to. St. Augustine put it this way. This is what he said. He said to the Lord in his confession, he said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. In, in other words, you were created for God's pleasure. That's what you were created for. You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You are not going to have peace in your heart until you find it in Jesus. Well, there's a woman that Jesus encounters in John chapter 4 who desperately needs a relationship with Jesus so that she can have what the Bible calls eternal life. We said last time we were together that the words eternal life, as John uses them, it doesn't just mean life that doesn't end. It means life to the ages, life abundant, it means a better life, a, a higher life, a more wonderful life, a life of purpose and meaning, the life that we were truly meant to live. And Jesus is going to tell her how she can have eternal life. And so if you found your place there in John chapter 4, would you stand with me? Look at verse 10. We're going to begin there. Stand with me as we read. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Now let's stop right there and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray, God, that you would help us have wisdom and insight as we read your word. Illumine your word for us today, Lord. Lord, be with my words as I preach, Lord. 
I know it's not by might and it's not by power, but Lord, it's by your spirit, declares the Lord, that your word will go forth. And I pray, Father, that as we pray and as I preach, Lord, that you will send your spirit to go forth from the pages of this scripture to the hearts of your people. That we might be more like Christ as we read and apply your word today. And we might live that truth out as we go out into a world that desperately needs to know the only one who offers eternal life. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. So we're going to talk about living water today. And what is this living water that Jesus offers? What is this that Jesus is offering this lady? Well, if we think about the context here, we can back up and we can begin to read in verse 4 where it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. The Bible says he had to pass through Samaria. Well, geographically speaking, if you're going from Judea, Jerusalem, up into Galilee, uh, geographically, you would pass through Samaria on the way. So if you're just looking at a map, you draw a straight line A to B, then you would go through Samaria to get there. But from history, what we understand is because of the cultural context of that day, most of the Jews, if they were going from Jerusalem to Samaria, would go all the way around. They would go down and cross over uh, the valley, the Jordan River Valley, and they'd go up through on the desert side up into Galilee just so that they would not have to pass through Samaria. So technically speaking, Jesus did not have to pass through Samaria. He could have followed the normal route and gone around Samaria. So we know that Jesus did this purpose purposefully. Why did Jesus go? Well, I believe with all my heart that he had a divine encounter with this, with this lady, with this woman of Samaria. The purpose of his going through Samaria was so that he could come and sit down at the well and have this conversation. Verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. When I think about uh, the, the context here and, and everything that uh, is happening, we see Jesus is tired. He's weary. God in the flesh, even though he was fully God, he was also fully man which means that a journey like that, going up from Judea to Samaria that could take about two, uh, you know, could take a week or so to get there and then another week on to Galilee, it could have taken him two weeks altogether. That was a wearisome journey. Jesus would have been tired from walking. I, get t- I got tired this morning because I forgot a few things. I climbed those stairs, went all the way across, got into my room and realized I didn't have my computer and I needed it for something I was going to do today. So I had to go all the way back down, go back down those stairs, go back to my office and get my computer and then go back up and then go all the way across and go back into the room. By the time I got there, I needed a breather. And Jesus walked for probably a week or so and he needed a break. And so Jesus sits down at Jacob's well. And Jacob's well had been there for a couple thousand years. She had probably come to Jacob's well many times before. This woman of Samaria. About the sixth hour, 
was probably not the right time for her to be there. If you calculate the way that the Jews calculated time, beginning at 6 o'clock and you add 6 hours to that, what time is it, folks? It's 12 noon. So it's the middle of the day, one of the, the hottest part of the day to be going to draw water. She went there to be alone. She'd probably been to Jacob's well many times before. Wells in the Bible, they had almost a supernatural ability to cause two people to fall in love. After Abraham, uh, after all, Abraham's servant found the perfect wife for Isaac at a well. Jacob met Rachel at a well, and it was love at first sight. So as a little girl, this woman of Samaria probably had come to draw water from the well, and she would imagine what it would be like on the day that she met her true love and got married. Well, the day came, and she fell in love, and she got married, and her heart was thrilled of all the things that were going to happen, and she was just so excited. He would be her protector. He would be the one that she had longed for. And they began their new life together. And they set out together. Made their home together. It was as if the fairy tale had come for her. But how many of you know that that's not how the story ended? It didn't end that way. Her happily ever after ending ended all too soon. He came home one day from work or wherever and he said, it's over. I found someone else. I'm divorcing you. Perhaps she pleaded and she said, no, don't don't leave me. You know, we're married. I'll, I'll forgive you and we'll move on and all of those things. And she pleaded for him to change his mind, but he was determined. In the first century Middle Eastern culture, a woman had absolutely no say in the matter. You'd write that certificate of divorce, hand it to her, and she was out on the street. And I've heard many interpreters tell us that this was a sinful woman at the well. Was she a sinful woman? Yes. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But let's not disparage the woman because she's had five husbands. She was doing her best. She's doing what she could. She's trying to find her happily ever after. She's trying to find rest in a world of restlessness. She's trying to be satisfied in a world that cannot satisfy. Well, that sent her life spiraling out of control. One after one, there's a there's a new man, okay? And he and he comes into her life and she thinks, okay, well, he must be the one. We'll try again. But it's like a bad record that just plays over again. And finally, she gets to the point where she's desperate, she's depressed and dejected. Surely no one's ever going to love her. And time is running out for her. Her biological clock is ticking. She's damaged goods. She can't even bring herself, probably because of the rejection, probably because of the 
the eyes of judgment that fall upon her. She can't even bring herself to go to the well in the morning, early in the day, whenever it's nice and cool and all of the other ladies are there and she can enjoy some company because she feels so dejected. Women probably gossip like women do. Did I say that in church? Over time, she's grown to despise going to that well. It's a burden that she bears every day just to survive. And then one day, there he is. He's sitting there at the well. Another man. A Jewish man, and and obviously from the way he looks and his clothes and all that, he's a rabbi. And he says to her, give me a drink. Now, now Jesus is not rude in this request. He's He's not putting anything upon her. It's natural to ask for a drink of water from someone who's drawing. But at the same time, his request is a is a bit unnerving. With all of her past experience with men and her preconceptions about Jews as stuck-up, judgmental and self-righteous bigots, what nerve does he have asking her for a drink? Typical man. Only wants anything to do with me whenever he wants something. Right? I said that out loud too. She, I'm keeping it fair and balanced. Just like Fox News. And she responds, are, are you really asking me to give you a drink of water? I mean, come on. You're a man, you're a bigoted man, you're a Jewish man, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? And then John gives us this little parenthetical a little bit of insight, and he says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I asked you for a drink of water, but if you knew who I was... I would give you the greatest gift you've ever received in your life. She's not used to hearing any of this. She's always been used up and then thrown away and tossed to the side, discarded like a piece of garbage. And now someone is saying, I'll give you the greatest gift you've ever received. And she doesn't know how to respond to it. But here's the thing, the first thing I want you to see about what Jesus offers this woman when he says living water. It's not a burden, but a blessing. It's not a burden, but a blessing. When he says this, Jesus says, I'll give you living water. The next thing that she says is, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? I think about buckets and uh Forgive me, but I have to use this as an illustration. I uh, I bought this uh, this bucket. 
and it, and it sits in my boat, and I keep my cast net and other essentials in there sometimes, you know, put it in there when I'm casting for bait, I can put my bait in there. Any of you got a, guys got a bucket like that? Cast net bucket, I see a few hands. Okay, so you can, you can relate. You need a good bucket for that, right? But I was out, and I didn't have a bucket. I needed, I needed a bucket, and I was with my dad, and we, went, we were going to go fishing. And so we stopped into Lost Key Tackle to buy some bait, and uh, I said, okay, let me go ahead and get a bucket, too, while I'm at it. And then uh, they rung me up, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is Gulf Beach Highway robbery. I mean, it has a sticker on it. I left, the, I left the, the, the price tag on there just so I could show people how expensive my bucket is. $7.49 for a bucket. Come on, man. That's outrageous. But you know, because I have this bucket, I can catch so much, so many more fish. Better Because I have a $7.49 bucket. I can catch... Bigger and better fish, because I have a bucket. And not only that, it says Lost Key Tackle. On, so I'm, I'm uh, out, Lost Key Outdoors now, by the way. They're expanding. They expanded the shop, so they can call it Lost Key Outdoors. It's got to meet all of your outdoor needs there in one place. So I'm advertising for them, too, at the same time. And sometimes, I mean, people think, my problem is, I don't have the right bucket. You know, I can go down to Walmart and I can get one of these for $4. But mine's better than yours because I paid $7.49 for it. And so many people think, okay, I need a big, bigger, better, whatever. Jesus came to the well and he didn't even have a bucket. Let me ask you, which one of the two who was sitting at the well that day were truly content? satisfied she says you don't have anything to draw with and the well is deep and the the there's still archaeology has uncovered jacob's well it's the oldest well in samaria and probably one of the oldest wells that we know of in the whole world and it's still producing water it's a hundred and Nearly 150 feet deep. It's When she says the well is deep, she means it. You need 150 feet of rope to get to the bottom of the well and a good bucket to get to the bottom of the well to draw water. And she says, where do you get that living water? She's thinking, well, maybe that's down at the bottom of the well. I mean, literally, the Greek here, it means that this is flowing water, not just water that's uh, kind of bubbly or whatever, like maybe fizz or something like that. This is flowing water, like a river of water is what Jesus is saying. And she said, well, maybe I need a, a longer rope and a bigger bucket, something to get way down there at the bottom to pull up the living, the living water, the better water. Well, and then she goes on to say, you know, Jacob knew about the well, never told any of us about living water coming out of this well. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Jesus is using the well to illustrate her spiritual need that needs to be satisfied. It's not about the water in the well at all. In fact, it's not about the physical well at all. It's about the spiritual need that she has for eternal life. 
And so Jesus is illustrating to her using the well that she needs not just a better bucket, she needs a different well. And he goes on to say, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Well, what's her reaction to all of this? This spring that's going to well up to her eternal life, this gift that Jesus wants to give. She says, sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So you see... She's still not getting it. She still doesn't quite understand that Jesus is talking about spiritual things and she's stuck on the well. And so Jesus' next statement to her, the command that he gives her, is going to be like a shock. It's going to be a slap in the face. And listen what he says. Go call your husband and come here. Well, What did Jesus just do? See, Jesus knew the sore spot in her life. Jesus knew exactly where the hurt was. And Jesus reached out and he touched that sore spot. It'd be the same thing that if, you're, if you were struggling financially, Jesus sat down with you and he said, go get your checkbook and come sit down. Or, 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 you know, if, if you were struggling with material possessions and you had mounted up all of these things in your life and you were really, really happy about your car and your house and all that, and Jesus said, hey, go get your keys. Go get your keys to your house and bring them to me. Jesus says, go get your husband, because she had relational problems. As omniscient God in the flesh, Jesus knows her current relationship status. He has revealed that she is in need for transformation. And so the woman answered him, I have no husband. Maybe she's going to skirt around the issue. Maybe she's going to avoid the the problem and she's already tried everything she could to avoid talking about what Jesus really wants to talk about. I mean, she's already thrown out a couple of things. She's tried race because she said, "Hey, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan." And not not want to talk about that. Jesus just go, moves on from that and says, "Hey, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water." She tries reason. She says, "Hey, you don't even have a bucket." And Jacob didn't tell us about living water. Where do you get living water? So she's going to try a reasoned argument with, with Jesus, and Jesus doesn't even engage in that. He just goes straight on to say, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And he talks to her about the true living water that she needs. And then the last argument that she's going to bring up is about religion, because Jesus is going to say to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband." For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. It's like, oh, okay. Jesus knows something about me. In fact, later on, when she goes out testifying about Jesus, she goes out saying, come see someone who told me everything I ever did. Because Jesus 
points right to the hurt, right to the pain. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She knew that. I mean, that was absolutely true. Jesus is a prophet. She understood. Okay, yeah, there's truth coming out of this man's mouth, and he knows things that no one else knows about me. In fact, I avoid everyone so we don't have to talk about it. And here he is telling me all about myself. You know, Jesus knows you better than anyone else. Nobody knows you like Jesus. He knows all the things that you'd rather not talk about. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly. But what's amazing and what should be amazing to all of us is that not only does Jesus know every good thing we've ever done, every bad thing we've ever done, even the worst thing that we've ever done, Jesus still loves us. Enough to offer to us himself on the cross. So that we might have eternal life. So Jesus shows her that he is supernatural. She calls him a prophet. Now she's going to throw up the only debate that she knows. And she's thinking to herself, he's about to... uh, tell me that I'm wrong in the way I worship. He's going to tell me that the the way that I worship God is the wrong way, and he's going to tell us, I don't need to worship here. I need to worship there. And he's going to say these things to me, try to correct me in matters of religion. So she goes ahead and asks the question, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She throws out that argument. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. In other words, it's not about the religion of it all. It's not about doing it all the certain way. It's not about where you worship. It's about the relationship. So Jesus is saying, I'm not offering to you religion. I'm offering to you a relationship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither here on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. What is God doing right now? What is he up to right now in this place and in in your life and in the lives of those around you? This is what God is doing. He is seeking people. He's seeking people to become worshipers of the one true king. That's what he wants for you. Every time we gather together in this place, he's seeking you. You think you're coming to church, but what's really happening is that God has come to your house and he's woken you up and he's drawing you to this place. Now, many times uh, there's many people that say, no, I'm not going today. I don't feel like it. It's my one day off. But it's it's not societal pressure. It's not the church making you. We don't come to your house and say, you didn't show up to church today. What's wrong with you? We don't do that. 
It's the Lord Jesus is beckoning us to come. He's saying, come and worship. And maybe we fight that and deny that. Maybe some of us, though, we're used to it and we love it and we, we long for it. David said, it was, uh, it was good when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so God is seeking worshipers. And he was seeking this Samaritan woman that day, but not just her, but so many others that were caught up in religion who didn't have a relationship. Harry Emerson Fosick said, some people have just enough religion to make themselves miserable. Why? What is religion? Religion is not a relationship. Religion is man trying to get to God. It's man's feeble attempt to be tall enough to reach up to a heavenly God, but this relationship that we call Christianity is about a God who's humble enough to come down to man. It's about a, man, it's about a God who became a man and lived among us. Then he died for us. But three days later he rose again and he told his disciples that he was sending to them his Holy Spirit as he ascended to the Father. We don't need temples. If you go to that mountain in Samaria today, Mount Gerizim, there's no temple there today to Yahweh. If you go to Mount Zion or right there in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, there's remnants of what used to be a beautiful temple, but there's no temple there today, not to Yahweh. And so everything that Jesus said is true Because people today are still worshiping this God. And they're worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. But they do not need a temple to do so. Because the Spirit has come into us. Those who believe. Peter was preaching about the same thing. And he told those people that were listening there near the temple. He said in Acts chapter 3 verses 19. He said, repent therefore and turn back. That your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. What is it that God gives us? He gives us himself. He gives us a relationship with him so you can know the almighty God of the universe and he can be as near to you as your next breath. That's amazing. This woman had never known this before. And Jesus is telling her, you can have a relationship with God and you can worship Him right where you are in spirit and in truth. Right where you are because God can be with you. He goes on to say, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. He doesn't put on a list of, you got to come this way to get to God. He doesn't say you got to worship here in this place to be with God. He says, no, you have to come in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he'll tell us all things. He's, in other words, when Jesus gets here, or whenever the Messiah gets here, he's going to straighten it all out for us. And I won't have any confusion about this anymore. I want you to understand that it, it's, 
It's not a, a burden, but a blessing. And it's not religion, but it's a relationship. But lastly, it's not head knowledge that we need, but it's heart knowledge. The Old Testament includes about 60 different prophecies with more than 300 references of the coming Messiah. And she had many of these memorized, probably from an early age. But every single one of these are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And even with all that evidence, some people just won't be convinced. Why not? Because they've got a head problem. <laughs> they just can't seem to wrap their head around it. Some often remark that the greatest distance in the world is the 14 inches between your brain and your heart. Peter made the confession. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, here's the thing. In order for you to truly understand who Jesus is and what he truly offers, which is living water, eternal life, if you are going to truly understand it, you've got to open up your heart to what God is saying to you. It's not just about knowing the right things. Christianity is not just about knowing things. It's about loving a person and trusting Jesus. Some people say Jesus was just admitting who he was, but listen to what he says in verse 26. It's actually a quotation directly from Isaiah. Something very special about these words. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. When Jesus said that, he wasn't just saying, hey, I'm the guy. He actually used the Greek words ego me," which literally mean I am. And it's emphatic. It's not just I am because me" can mean I am by itself. But he put the ego, which is I, on the front of that. In other words, he's declaring himself not just to be the one that the Bible speaks about as the coming Messiah, but he's also declaring to her that he is God in the flesh. I don't know what was on her mind that morning as she prepared to go to the well. Any more than I know what was on your mind before you came to this place today. I don't know what all the thoughts are that seem to captivate your mind every single day. Where you put your brain. But I want to tell you today that God was seeking you before you even woke up this morning. He had a divine encounter with you this morning. Jesus had to go to Samaria because there was a woman who needed to hear that he offers eternal life. And maybe you came here today and you didn't have a single thought about Jesus. I hope that's not the case, but if it is, I want to tell you something. Jesus has been thinking about you since before you were born.
The Lord told Jeremiah, he said, Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I called you. See, he knew this woman's history, but he also knew her hair color because he chose it. He knew her body shape because he designed it. He knew her eye color because he picked it out. He knew where she would be born. And he knew that she would be at that well. Just the right moment to receive Jesus' offer of eternal life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. You're here where you are, not by accident. Not because you just decided to come. You're here because the Lord God appointed for you to be here today so that you could hear about the one who offers eternal life and you could give your heart to him. It's not about a bunch of head knowledge and things you need to memorize and know. It's simply about opening your heart in faith, repenting of your sin and saying, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. I want this eternal life that you offer. Give me the living water. And if that's you today, and you're hearing his call, you know he's drawing you, and you're ready to respond in faith, I'm going to lead you in a prayer so that you can do so. And this is not a magical prayer. This is a prayer of faith and repentance that you offer to God, and God hears the prayer when you mean it with all your heart. So as I lead you, you just pray right there in the stillness of your heart to God. Say, Dear Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I haven't done the things that I know are right. And I've done things that I know are wrong. And I deserve the penalty. There's been lots of disappointment in my life. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That you took my shame. You took my sin. And you bore it for me on the cross. I also believe that you were raised again and that you are alive today. And so I ask you to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and make me a new person. Be the Lord of my life. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? And that prayer that we just prayed, that's your commitment to Jesus, that you're asking for His forgiveness for your sin, asking Him to be your Savior, but you're committing your life to Him and saying, I I give you my life now because you've saved me. And if you've prayed that prayer and you meant that with all your heart, you need a family to belong to. And this 
This is where we come in. This is where Myrtle Grove Baptist Church comes into the picture. And what that means is that now these people out here, they're part of your family. Those that have trusted in the Lord Jesus. And so this invitation is for you to come and, and join the family and say, I've asked Jesus to be my Savior and He saved me and now I want to serve along the saints. And we're going to encourage you, love you, give you resources to help you grow, offer you small groups for you to be involved in with other people, to get to know people who love the Lord. And if you've never joined this church before, but you know the Lord is bringing you here, this is your invitation as well for you to come. If the Lord is drawing you here, you come and join Myrtle Grove Baptist Church as a member today. If you need prayer, our altar is open and our prayer counselors are coming forward as we sing. So you come and you pray however the Lord would have you do that. Let's sing the song of invitation together and you come as God leads you. Coming out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let a rescue begin. Come find your mercy, a sinner come to The earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. The earth has no sorrow, heaven Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. And by the way, that was a, this is the first time Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah in John's gospel to a woman at the well. No one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her.
her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Isn't this the Christ? I love the story. Because you see that she's been transformed. Just because Jesus took time out of his way to be with her. I hope you've been transformed by the gospel. I hope that that's true for you. The natural response to that transformation, church, this is for you. The natural response is for you to go say something about it. Tell somebody about it. We've got an opportunity to do that today, 3 o'clock. I hope you've been planning with us for a while to, to join in with us to do this. I hope that you'll come. We're going to go and tell some people. We're going to tell them, come see. Come see a man. He's, he's told me everything I've ever done. And more than that, he knows everything I've ever done. But he loves me. How easy is that for you to tell? Tell somebody. I hope that you can do that with us today. I hope that you will. It's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge because, yeah, if you go home, you eat a big meal, you're going to want to just pass out. And 3 o'clock is going to roll around and you're not going to want to roll out of bed. But I'm going to tell you what. There are eternal blessings that will come whenever you share who Jesus is with somebody. Pray that you'll join us. Let's just sing one more verse, one more chorus of the song. Can we do that? And I'll get out of the way. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. It's all who are broken. Lift up your face. So wonder to be in church. Come on. Ah, yeah, give Jesus a round of applause. I'll take it. All right, church family, one little announcement this Friday uh, for you young adults. Uh, so that's graduated high school. Sorry, youth. Graduated high school up to about 35 years old. We are going to throw some axes this Friday uh, 6 o'clock at Grizzly Axe is on Davis Highway. So if you're interested in going and being a part of that, one, we would love for you to come be a part of that. Uh, but two, call us, let us know so we can get you in the list. we got about 30 spots, and we're hoping we can add some more. Um, so if you're one of the young adults in the room, come throw some axes with us this Friday. All right? That being said, let me pray, and we'll get out of here. God, we love you, and we praise you. We thank you so much, God, for another amazing time. 
to come into your house and worship you, God, to, to have a baptism, to have so many kids over in Children's Church uh, to worship you in the way that we did this morning, God. We give all that glory to you. We wouldn't be here without you. We wouldn't be able to worship without you living in us, God. Uh, we praise you. We thank you for everything that you are doing here uh, at Myrtle Grove Baptist Church and what you're doing in, in all the lives of our members and our community as well. God, I pray that you just uh, put a drive in us, uh, that we will be willing and able to go and share the same hope that lives in us with other people that are around us. God, we love you. In your heavenly name, amen.